Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. How's everybody doing? Y'all good? Can you hit, a, hit your neighbor with a fish bump real quick? Do something. All right. Y'all want to howl? Okay, hit it. One, two, three. Hit him with the howl. Whew. Ah. Guess the juice is running in the morning, you know what I mean? All right. If you're new here, I'm Pastor Jay. I'm happy to have you here this morning. Um, I'm excited about this message I'm preaching this morning, and I just pray for God's grace to be able to preach it well um, and land it in your hearts. Um, We're going to be in Matthew 6 starting with verse 19 this morning, if you want to go there. I'm going to read a scripture with you just to get on your nerves this morning or whatever. This scripture right here always messes with people's flesh a little bit, messes with mine sometimes or whatever. It's Mark 10, 21. Don't turn to it, but I just want to read it to you. It says this. It says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. How you feel when you hear that? Do you get excited? Like, do you feel like, yeah, you know, Lord, I'll sell every single thing, I'm ready to roll. Or do you start thinking like, dang, you know what I'm saying? The, the Xbox and all that, everything? The PlayStation? Like, you know what I mean? My sneaker collection? You know what I'm saying? Like, this scripture, we, we saw Christ often actually say this to people and it landed in front of them as a stumbling block, right? So God meant it as this beautiful thing to call them into what is true treasure, but in their mind, there was this thing where it's like, you're asking me to give up my treasure. And Jesus is saying, but I am the treasure. I am actually the bread of life. Like you chasing, you know what I'm saying, some old hard, crusty bread or whatever. I'm the living bread, you know what I'm saying? And so I think that, Matthew 6 falls dead in the heart of this kind of conversation, and I want to take our church through it today. Like, there's a couple of things I'm hoping to happen today, right? My, object, my objectives are this or whatever. I want to convince you of the necessity to build your affections for Christ. I want to convince you that Christ will faithfully build your affections for him. He will actually do the work and convince you that that necessity carries an eternal weight, right? And so I think that this kind of conversation is so important for the church in this day and age right now because, I mean, this has always been happening, but as you look at um, society and the way things are shifting and the way things are changing, the way people's opinions and the ideologies that are becoming more prevalent, what we know is true from a biblical standpoint is completely being rewritten. Do y'all see that? Even by some pastors that we even esteem and, and ministries that we're like, we used to be like, yo, you, yeah. And then like, you know, you catch them on TV and you're like, yo, what is homeboy talking about? Like, no way. You get where I'm coming from? And so it's, the word is everything for us as believers. Truth, like we, 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 the, we don't, we're not just, you know, dripping with virtues that just give us an affinity to just, you know, ooh and ah over truth. Like we only, pursue truth because of what God is doing in our heart. Um, And a lot of times that stumbling block that pulls us away from the Lord is some type of treasure or idol that has pretty much captivated us, right? Does anybody feel that sometimes? 
right? Like normally when, like when I talk to people, or we have any type of counseling sessions, and I'm like, you know, what's going on with you? The first thing is usually like, I haven't really been spending time with the Lord and things have gotten kind of weird. Like the more we kind of like, if I'm not in proximity, I always explain it like with my kids. So if I get out of the car and I walk somewhere, they're always like, yo, daddy, I need to see you. You know what I'm saying? They're like, daddy, I need to, where you at? And I'm like, yo, I'm right here. And they're like, I need to be able to see you. They're saying that to me. I feel that way too, but they're saying that. The Lord is looking at us like, I need to be able to see you, right? Because if you don't see me, then you're seeing something else. But like, as soon as we get a little bit away from them, stuff starts getting kind of weird, right? You understand what I'm saying? You ever be following some of your friends and they start posting stuff and they're like, it's, like, it's kind of like you're trying to preach, but something's off. You get where I'm coming from? They started drifting away a little bit. Things get a little weird. And it happens to the best of us and we need to realign, you know, get in the word and stuff. So I want to talk about application today. But let me read this scripture to you. Matthew 6, 19 through 24 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. I want you to pay attention. The word treasure is going to be everywhere. We're going to talk about it. It says, yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust um, destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So we're gonna start off with, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to verses 19 and 21, and I wanna start off with verse 22. Right, 22 and 24, we're gonna kind of dance in that area this morning. Because I think that present, that's, the, that's where we find the problem, right? The bulk of the problem um, that deals with where our treasures are at, right? So it says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness, right? So when this scripture right here is talking about light, it's talking about your eye, right? It's talking about our twisted and sinful affections and passions for the flesh, right? So, I'm a parent, so I, everything I say is always about kids. You know what I'm saying? We got 10 kids. I only know how to talk in pampers and juice cups, all right? It's my language. But like, you know, some of my older kids, they've always thought we were kind of like, you know, prophetic or something, you know what I'm saying? Like a little scared. Any of y'all had parents where you like, how in the heck do you always know when I'm up in some dirt? You know what I'm saying? Like you come inside and they just look at you, they like, you smell like sin. And you like, yo, like, you know, that's, that's, that's the, you know, the stink only. I was okay, you got me on that one, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? But like, sometimes you like, how do you know I've been doing something wrong? And they just know, right? And so my kids or whatever, like, I used to be afraid of my mom because, like, you know, we was kind of, like, extra charismatic and all that in church and whatever, and people be falling out and doing all type of stuff. So I was just like, man, yo, Lord going to tell everything I do. So I was always afraid, right? But, like, with my kids, they're like, yo, how'd you know I was doing something? But I know what they, like, if I start... If I, if I get their phone and catch them like listen to certain music, certain things, like just the way they start treating their brothers and sisters, like I start knowing the bigger statement 
that makes. Does that make sense? So like if some, when I start seeing little off things, usually my, my inclination for some bigger off things end up being true, right? And basically, so basically what I'm telling you is when their eye gets bad and they start getting captivated by the wrong things, I always start picking, like they'll say something out of their mouth and I'll be like, hmm, okay. You know, because I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to steward their heart and, and direct them on the right thing. And so I'm like, you know, if they're talking a little crazy, I'm like, man, maybe we need to get in the Word and study this a little bit. Or like, Dad, I don't like the way they just talked about their sister or whatever. Like, I need to talk to them what it is to be about family and how the Lord looks at that. So as a parent, I'm always looking for these things and watching these things to be able to shepherd their heart. But then sometimes I see them pushing in certain areas where I'm like, yo, they, their heart is going the wrong way, Right? What captivates them is the wrong thing because if, what cap if, if, if they're being captivated by something that's not of God, then their actions are gonna follow. You understand what I'm saying? That's what this scripture is, is saying. It's deep, but it's simple. It's saying what captivates you is what is going to determine your health overall, right? If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You know, when it's uh, one of the reasons people hate going to counseling or whatever is like, to me, counseling is just a tricky thing or whatever, right? Because like with counselors, they get to the heart of the matter. You know what I'm saying? Like if they're good counselors, they get to the heart of the matter. And what I've experienced with counselors is that you can swear that you are right about something. You're like, yo, I'm, me and my wife going in here, I'm finally, gonna, she's gonna get laid out. The truth is gonna come to light. And then you get in the counseling session and then you're the wrongest one ever like to ever be in a counseling session. And you're just like, and they're like, actually what happened was she was responding because this is where the sin landed, it's in you. And then it's like, and you're just sitting there and everything's just like, you're just getting obliterated. Like, it's like, it's like, man. But like what happens is your affections whether it's to be right, whether it's to get what you want, they're being exposed, right? It's being exposed that your affections are distorted. And that's what this I thing is talking about, right? In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul is making an appeal to the Corinthians because he's telling them that, hey, you're taking God's grace in vain. And that what they've started doing is they're laying up earthly treasures. They're starting to not work for things that are fruitful in the sense of glorifying God, but they're like, they didn't got on their self-righteous me, me perspective, right? And so Paul tells them this, he says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak, as, I speak as the children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnerships with righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? They started to treasure something else, right? He's talking to the Corinthians. They started to treasure something else. And he's like, they're like having beef with them. So when we look inside of, let me bring you back real quick. Inside of Matthew 6, verse 24, when it says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So listen, 
We're talking about idol worship. We're talking about people being captivated about things that are not of God. And so Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthians, he says, you're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. He is saying, you started loving something that is not like God. And when we start pointing you towards God, you are upset at us because you feel like we're restricting you from something, but your affections are twisted and corrupt. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? And he has to make this statement. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? Their eyes started going bad. Therefore, the fruit of what they do started going bad, right? There wasn't a line in the sand about this is what it looks like to pursue Christ, and this is what is against Christ. They started confusing the two, trying to tap dance on both sides. Y'all with me so far? That's what the scripture is telling us. There's no way to actually play that game. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. This is so important to you right now because in this day and age, all of this stuff is going to get super twisted. And if you're trying to stand on both sides of the fence, then both legs are going to get pulled apart and you're going to fall down in the middle of the fence. And I don't know if you can catch that picture, but it's not a good thing at all. All right, fellas? So anyway, I'm, do you get where I'm coming from? Do not play both sides of the fence. It will split you in half. And Christ, he's calling the people to, 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 to choose, like, who, who do you serve, right? He's, he's caught, like, he is, he's jabbing at their hearts here. Um, let me tell you a story real quick. So the other day, um, you know, I don't think as, as people we do well with imperatives. I don't know how you are or whatever, but... I don't like people telling me nothing. Like my rebellious fleshly nature is, if you say go that way, just because you told me to go that way, I'm gonna be like, oh word, I'm going this way. You know, it's like I'm just gonna do it just because that's what my sin looks like in my life or whatever, right? And so the other day, my son Jules hurt himself or whatever and he had to get stitches. Y'all know, who knows Jules in here? See, if you don't know Jules, Jules is like this tall, but he has the mind of a 40 year old grown man. But how old is Jules? He's about to be one, right? Two, yeah, two. I ain't seen him in a minute. I told you he's like a grown man. He ain't in the Navy. You ought to see somewhere, all right? But he's about to be two, all right? And so Jules, we, me and Lana had just told Jules to stop doing something. And, you know, so we're like, Jules, get off the couch or whatever this and that. He gets off the couch. As soon as we turn our head or whatever, he's back on the couch. Boom, he falls, he hits his head. Boom, all right? He's bleeding, all that. We have to take him to get stitches. I get over him, I'm like, Jules, I'm talking to him. He starts crying, he handles it fairly well. But I look at the other kids and I say, hey, listen, I want to, listen, make sure y'all understand this. When we tell y'all not to do stuff, it's because we care for you, right? Like, it's important. Like, that could have been deadly, you know what I'm saying, or something or whatever. You never know. But I'm like, we tell you this stuff because we love you, so we need you to really obey and listen to us, even if you don't get it. And Jules completely you know, he's 40, so he understands every word that we're saying. And I didn't look at him when I was saying it, right? And then I look at him, and when I finish my statement, he cuts his eyes at me, and he just looks down. And he was just like in this shame, like even at the hospital, like he knew what he did. So I had to keep like, you know what I mean? Sorry, buddy, man, this and that, da da. But he like, it hit him like what he did, right? Well, 
when you read in Matthew 6, you keep reading Jesus is telling everybody all of this stuff or whatever that like, you know, he's like, hey, you know, like you can't have two masters, you know what I'm saying, lay up treasures in heaven. And it sounds like some stuff that will make an awesome Hallmark card. But he is talking about something that has eternal value, right? Like this isn't just some little quick little, you know, hey, here's some little good advice on the road, take that with you. This is like life or death, right? This is like actually determining like, do you stand with Christ or are you lost in the sauce? You understand what I'm saying? It's not just a little quick little flick of the wrist. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's like Christ, when he looks at you and he's, he's, he's weighing you, he's going, when, when he, you know, when the people show up and they're like, Lord, we did this for you, we did this for you. He's like, depart from me, I don't know you. Because he's weighing the treasure of their heart. He's like, yo, you did that for you. You may have preached, but you preached for a platform. You may have healed, but you may be wanted a really long, you know, awesome prophetess, evangelist, something title on Facebook or whatever. So, you know, people will be like, oh, they are just full of power when you walk through. And Jesus weighing the treasure of their heart like, yo, that ain't for me. That ain't about me. I don't know you. Just because you monetized the gospel or Jesus and you could say these words and some people will start snap clapping and jumping all over the place and it worked for you doesn't mean that I actually know you. You truly never actually treasured me and the work of my son Jesus, excuse me, the work of Jesus on the cross. You never treasured that. That was not really a big deal for you. That was just a, something you could throw on like an accessory. Y'all get where I'm coming from? He gives this directive. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust um, destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It reminds me of Romans 8. Because Roman 8, Romans 8 talks about how the earth is, the earth is subjected to futility. I always bring y'all to the scripture. I always bring it to this scripture because this scripture, just this phrase alone, this, this idea of the earth being subjected to futility, it's one of the things I use to kind of prod myself and save myself from making treasures out of different things, right? I'm not saying that always works or whatever. I'm not saying I don't get captivated by the wrong things, but I'm saying this scripture does that for me because it is saying essentially that everything on earth the moth will get a hold of it. It actually will rust. The earth is actually subjected to futility. He says in Romans 8, Romans 8, he says it like this, verse 20 says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God found it fitting to actually make the earth break to save me and you from making it into idols, from, to save me and you from making it into our treasure. He actually set it up like that, right? Whatever we love, the moth devours it. The shiny thing is gonna rust. Thing, thieves are gonna break in and steal that thing that you try to protect so hard. We all watch movies and we love to see movies like Ocean's Eleven or whatever where 
people break in to get the paper. It's the best security in the world, you know what I'm saying? The Italian job, all of these different things, it's about treasures being stolen, right? You have friends, you love them with all your heart, sometimes they move on. Loved ones pass away in an instant. I got a call about an uncle passing this week, another one in a car accident, and I see you holding on for their life. Homes get destroyed by the weather. Reputation and status can be removed in one lie. It doesn't even have to be true. One person say something bad about you or like, I felt like they kind of did this right here, whatever. It could be the farthest thing for the truth and your whole reputation, if that's what your treasure is and you're building your life on, it's gone. It's gone. I'm not trying to be over the top, but what I'm saying is, this is the reality we live in. This is the futility of it all. Some of the stuff I even listed happened to y'all this week. Friends were lost this week. People's lives and your family or friends you know may have been lost this week. Somebody came at your reputation this week. These things, they don't mean anything. They're treasures that just get destroyed or thieves come in and break in with a lie about you or they physically come in your house and take it all, right? I used to have an awesome sneaker collection, then my house flooded, true story. All of them floating up the river. Ends like that. It's not the treasure. And that's what Jesus is pushing at in Matthew 6, right? Let's talk about treasure, what that is, right? Our mission for this church is to build bridges to see strangers become friends who become family. And our vision is to see the gospel of Jesus Christ and his church treasured in Health Zone 1. We didn't just throw out the word treasure. We really kind of thought through it and we're like, this is the word we want to use for our affections for Christ, like to describe it. We wanted to use the word treasure because I think that this is a word that people can actually grasp and understand. And I think it's amazing that you see it in this scripture and in this text, right? It's a word, it's a matter of aim. It talks, it, it, it embodies focus, direction, and value, right? Any of y'all ever had like um, the if I win the lottery talk? Raise your hand if you've had that conversation. You know what I'm saying? You, get, you know what I'm saying? You get with your people, you're like, you know, like when the Powerball's like real crazy, you're like, yo, man, if I hit this deal, you know what I'm saying? I can't play it, because you know why? Every time I play it, in my head, I really think that I'm actually gonna win it. And I'm so disappointed. I know it's so stupid, but I just can't turn it off. So I play it, and then I'm just like at the crib, like, yo, listen, babe, get the call, start packing. Like waiting for them to announce the numbers, like start packing and stuff or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Whatever, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing, but I'm like, yo, get your phone on speed dial, call your boss and tell him I said blah, 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 something, you know what I mean? Like, I, and I mean it. And then I go into a depression after I don't get it. I'm just like, why? You know? Um, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's that treasure talk. That lottery conversation, that like lets you know what it is or whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm usually like, I'm leaving my job. I'm gonna spray paint the whole, I quit on the whole building on the outside. I'm grabbing my box. You know how you get walked out with your box when you get fired? Not that I've ever had that happen. But I'm grabbing my box 
and I'm having my own security walk me out. That's what I'm gonna do. And there's gonna be a parade waiting outside. That's how I'm leaving the job if I hit the Powerball, right? That's how I used to see it, you know what I'm saying? But like, I'm playing around, but like, I'm not playing around. But like, that was a different time. Like, I'm not going nowhere, even with the check. I'm gonna take a trip or whatever, I'll take a trip. But I'm coming back and I'm preaching the gospel. It's the best place in the world. It's the best thing in the world. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and we're family for real. I think that's important or whatever. But I think in the middle of that conversation, a lot of the what is the treasure of your heart comes out, right? Like, what will get undone if your financial circumstance changes? Will the friends you have still be your friends? Well, you have too much money to show up to church. Like, do you need to jet set? You know what I'm saying? Like, is this really important to you? I've seen that a million times, whatever. People love Jesus when they're broke. Get a little paper, they're like, man, I love you. I can't. I'm being in Italy for eight months. So, okay, you go for work? Nothing. Just over there. Just, I just bought a bunch of button-up shirts, and I just want to walk around my chest out for eight months. That's it. No reason to go. Just that. You know, you know craziness or whatever, right? And it's like, cool, I get it. Maybe you need a chance to breathe, but it's, it still begs the question like, where's your treasure at? Where is your treasure at? What is your treasure? Do you treasure Jesus or something else bigger than that? Can circumstances just move around a little bit and then all of a sudden your heart is exposed that like, Jesus is not really that big of a deal, right? It's Matthew 13, 44. Let me read this to you because I feel it lays it right out. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Y'all get that? Think about it real quick, right? You, 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 you roll up on a piece of property. You outside hunting or whatever. I don't know. You're in the field hunting or whatever. Solo mission, whatever, right? You stumble up on a gold vein in the ground. You start digging up, you're like, oh my God, this whole property has gold running all the way through it. I'm, you can raise your hand if you're with me. I'm going to the crib, I'm selling up everything. I'm selling everything I got. Toothpaste, whatever. Toenail clippers, anything I got. I'm selling it and I'm getting that property, right? Because of the value, because it has treasure on it. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So that, that scripture, let me read this to you again. It says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. We understand very well, well what that word treasure means. It means something that captivates us so much that we actually relinquish our will to it. It has value above everything, right? has value above everything. People get scared of a verse like that because they're like, it, they, we, we feel like we're going to have to unclutch this idol we have. And definitely holding on to these idols is a problem. But the bigger problem, right, the real problem is actually that we're at such a distance from Christ that we can't see how beautiful he is. We don't have a value for the cross. Right? Because we're not talking about works like, hey, you need to just switch up and make this be more valuable in your life. We're talking about what you have affections for. What actually stirs you? 
what you actually commit your time to. This is talking about taking everything you have and actually dropping at the feet of Christ and being like, God, I'll serve you with all of this. What does that look like? It's going to look different for everybody, right? We have people in the room that have been missionaries overseas, lost everything they have, right? Elder Tony told us a story about Morocco and like, hey, you can't come back in the country again. Well, my family's over there and everything I own is over there. It's just the way it falls. But he's still serving Jesus, right? God had done something inside of his heart where like that was a part of this, this plan. It's part of the calling. It's a part of what God did in his heart. He's actually the treasure. I don't want to lose these things, but if they get lost, then so be it. It's not that having things is the problem. The problem is when Jesus is right here and then the things are over here, right? Because what it is, they're not your things anyway. We're just stewards of them. Elder Tony was giving me an example. He said, it's, it's like, a, like a person coming to the Lord and saying, he's like, Lord, you, you, you know, Lord is like, I want everything you have. And the person brings everything they have to him. He's like, yo, that's everything? He's like, yeah, that's everything, Lord. That's all I got. It's like, cool. Keep it. But if I come back for it, I'm going to need it. God, it's not our stuff anyway. God is giving it to you to steward. You understand what I'm saying? It's whatever you have is not yours. So even what we're working through in our mind about letting go of, giving up and everything, it's not yours in the first place. It only exists because God was graceful enough to bring you into whatever circumstance that actually put that in your hand. And it's meant to be used for his glory. Perhaps it's meant to give him glory because you give it away to somebody who's less fortunate. Perhaps you're supposed to have a house that you're supposed to use to share with people, to bless people, for them to use it as an escape to get rest. However, God is actually giving that to you. Or perhaps you are supposed to actually sell everything and go to a foreign country and do what you need to do. Or perhaps you're supposed to go to a hood near you and, and post up and all your family's like, yo, what are you doing living over there? But you're like, for me, for what God is doing in my heart, this is the way he wants me to roll right? So it's the same thing, but circumstances definitely play a part. In Luke 12, 32 through 33, it says this, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Word treasure is all over the place. He's talking about the intentionality of our actions. What are you actually, what are you pursuing? What are you, is every move you make rationalized from the standpoint of making more, 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 more for you on earth, right? You just fulfilling your flesh all the time, or is it, God, how do we give you glory with what we have here? How do we actually, like, how do we actually accumulate fruit that actually bears in the heavenly that has eternal value? Y'all get where I'm coming from? Eternal value. In Luke 19, Zacchaeus, when he has an encounter with the Lord, he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my, half of my goods I give to the poor. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. The, con the idea wasn't that Zacchaeus just bought his way into salvation. 
but it was that he actually, he, he didn't just pay a price, he didn't pay a, a fee to now become one of the Lord's children, but he actually made a statement, a definitive statement that Christ completely grasped and knew very clearly. He was saying, God, I want to right every wrong. Everybody that I've robbed, everybody I've taken from, I want to actually make that right. I, I'm, I'm taking it and I'm gonna triple it three times, I'm gonna do whatever needs to happen because you are up here and all of this stuff is down here. Do you get where I'm coming from? It's a tension that lands on our lap, especially in the land of milk and honey or whatever in, in, in America. It's one of the richest nations in the world. I know we always feel like we have a lot to complain about and maybe that is true sometimes and definitely in certain contexts for sure. But we still sit above every single country. And so it's a tension sometimes trying to deal with what it looks like to give and sacrifice in light of this scripture. But all of this has to be vetted through the word of God. I have a friend, um, I have a friend who's uh, very successful. Um, I'm gonna talk in these vague things or whatever because it pretty much has to deal with stuff that, I don't know, anyway that I won't really talk about, but I'm gonna talk about it anyway. So I have a friend, he's in this very high level position and really, really smart person. I'm talking to him one day and I said, um, he's telling me about this organization he's becoming a part of or whatever. And the organization is the kind of organization, I'm not gonna mention the name, but the organization is basically um, like one of those things you hear conspiracy theories about, right? It's one of those deals. You can start rolling with whatever you start thinking about right now, you can go into it or whatever, because I know you're gonna be like, oh my God, he's talking about the Illuminati, whatever. So maybe I am, maybe I ain't, all right? But just go there, but it is crazy on that level. So anyway, I asked my friend, I said, um, he goes, yeah, that's real. And actually um, I'm in the middle of making some decisions about some things, right? So I'm like, oh, this brother's crazy. So anyway, but he's very, very smart. And so I, I asked the question, I said, um, why would you do that? What do you get out of that? And he says to me, I actually wrote it down. I want to read it to you how it was said to me. He says, um, I will pretty much be guaranteed wealth, wealth, status, and comfort. Problem is, I will always have to perpetuate this organization's, this organization's systems, and they are detrimental to many, especially people of color. That was, that was the response. If I was just having this conversation with Joe Smo on the street, I'd be like, whatever. But because of this person's status and the company they keep, I was just like, oh, wow, okay. Let me look out my windows, make sure nobody's gonna kill me. Why do you have this conversation with me? It's one of those, right? But nevertheless, when I left and I was pondering it, it was just like crazy to me because how smart I know this person is and how kind of woke they are with systematic ills and different things. And the fact that they completely um, in full awareness thought through this and said, this, this, this drives evil, but will, it will give me wealth. It will give me status. It will give me comfort. That was the trade for them, right? the trade for them to perpetuate a system that perpetuates evil 
was that them personally, they would have wealth, status, and comfort. That is probably one of the, that's, a, that's a, what I feel is a great example of having a bad eye, right? What that text Matthew tells us about when your eye is bad and now your body becomes completely unhealthy. Everything you do because you are a prisoner to things of the flesh, to wealth, to status, to comfort, it begins to pollute all of you. Do y'all see that? Let me read something to you in James 4. James 4 says this. Um, to me, James 4 um, is a perfect matchup, matchup with Matthew 6, 19 through 24, and I'm going to show you that because it says the same thing but in different ways, right? But verse 4, um, I'm going to read verse 1 through 10. It says this. It, said, what, it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? You desire to not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no pur purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This text is amazing. First of all, when you look in the beginning of James 4, what you actually see here is you see the word passions used, right? Passion is the same thing as affections. And he's saying this thing, he's saying, you're, you, the problem is, the reason you have these beefs, he's talking about systems being polluted by what people treasure. So the treasure is off. The treasure isn't the Lord, the treasure is themselves. So he says, you have these quarrels and you have these fights because your passions, your affections are at war with you. You desire and you do, and do not have. So you murder, right? You're willing to murder to get the treasure you want. That's what he's saying right there in the scripture. He's talking about systematic death. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. He could have also said because your eye is bad. It's what we saw in Matthew. You ask wrongly because your heart is already corrupt and twisted. What you actually desire is already set at war against God. It's not of God. It's not for God. It's for self. It's for to build, your, to build your treasures on earth. That's what he's saying in the text right there. Verse 4, it's like Matthew 6, 22 and 23. Verse 4, he says this. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Let me read that to you in Matthew uh, six also. He says, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and serve 
money. So there's this thing or whatever where when we treasure the wrong thing, we create systems or we add to systems that are completely evil against God, hurt others. We may be getting what we want out of it. We may be heaping treasures unto ourselves, but ultimately we're devouring somebody else in the process, right? And verse six begins to talk about application. So um, I'm, I, I'm gonna, I wanna read some application to you of like, so how do you actually respond to what I'm telling you? Um, because I think when you start talking about this treasure conversation, it leaves people like, oh God, I gotta do some house cleaning and check my heart or whatever and stuff. And Satan could try to slide in on you with condemnation and whisper in your ear like, you suck. You know what I'm saying, or whatever, and just trying to condemn you and make you feel like you're the worst person on earth. And maybe you do have some sin that you actually need to come to the Lord and repent. But what I think is actually beautiful is inside of James 4, what we see is the Lord actually telling us process and remedy to actually deal with the brokenness, the idolatry in our heart, right? So let me read that to you. Are y'all still awake? Punch your neighbor in the arm. Don't punch him too hard. Because I know I got some, there's some Louisville sluggers up in here. You hit them the wrong way, they might get on you. All right, cool. All right. So check this out. It's verse 6. He begins application for us. He says, I'm going to go to verse 5. He says, or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you? But he gives more grace. Right? So James 4, whatever, he just got done talking about passions being off, corruptness, sin, being at war with God, but then he puts an exclamation point and he goes, but he gives more grace, right? That is, that is the answer to all of this stuff or whatever, to this brokenness, to our idolatry, to, our, to us having treasures that are not God, is that God actually gives us grace and he works with us. So in, he's being graceful in this text right here because he's actually telling us how to actually live this thing out. And so he gives us several imperatives. In verse 7 he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. He says if you feel like you're guilty, if you like, if you are actually guilty of this kind of idolatry in your heart, like if your passions are actually geared towards the wrong thing, it's saying submit yourself to the Lord, right? We see in John it says, if you say you don't sin, then you're a liar. It says, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. It said, but if you walk in the light, if you confess your sin, it says God is faithful to actually cleanse all of your sin. It says the blood of Jesus is actually sufficient, that Jesus actually climbed on the cross, gave his life to actually give you his righteous resume as being perfect, the perfect lamb, and take all of your filthy sins and be brutalized and ultimately die for it. So he's saying submit yourselves to that. It's saying step up and be like, I'm sinful. God, I need your mercy, I need your grace, I need you to wash this sin away. I'm not able. Next he says, resist the devil. Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse eight, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let's talk about what drawing near to God looks like real quick. It's praying. It's being a company of other believers, right? How many of y'all in squads, throw your hands in the air real quick. Listen, you get to sit around other believers who are going through things just like you, who get to encourage you, you get to go into the word together. I know what it is. Sometimes, listen, how many of y'all know what it is when you're on that night with the squad and you just don't feel like going? Oh, y'all gonna sit up and lie in church. Oh, y'all just gonna lie. 
But you know what I'm talking about. Like sometimes you just don't feel like doing it and then you push through and you get there and you actually find yourself getting exactly what you needed that day. The encouragement. Maybe you just like couldn't start. The gospel didn't just look beautiful to you and you're just kind of like, uh, I read the Bible, it's not really. But then you get around other believers and it starts to illuminate, right? That's what happens. Draw near to God. And he begins to draw near to you. God is in his people. He's in your brothers and sisters in the church. That's why I call this family. It may not always feel like family. We may not always look like family. We may not act like family. But I have actual blood family who we act worse than that. But God is actually looking to cleanse our hearts and draw us into each other. That's one of the ways he draws us to himself. And the way he keeps us treasuring him. So he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Another thing that's good news in this is that it talks about what he's going to do. This is not an act of your self-righteousness. God is actually going to begin to sanctify and change you, right? I'm not one of those people that's like, I'm, I'm not always up on killing devotions all the time. But I could hit that Bible lap real quick. You know what I'm saying? That joint pops up in the morning. I could roll over and get one crusty eye on it real fast and be like, all right, and work through it. Do whatever you got to do. But, some, but like, there is this thing, this, this thing about intentionality, right? First of all, when it comes to being intentional, that's God's grace. So the word is weird in itself because it seems like it puts it on us. But if, if you feel any inkling of God giving you any type of intentionality, you're already experiencing his grace, right? Sometimes I don't feel like reading the word. Sometimes I open it at night and I just lay my face in it because I literally don't feel like reading it. But I feel like I need it, right? In that moment, I realized that God is actually drawing near to me. He is making me feel, and it's a beautiful thing, weak within myself. I'm going to bed, and it's a beautiful thing, not feeling like, oh, God, you know, I just feel so anointed and loving you or whatever, and I read my word tonight and this and that. It's a blessing, it's a gift from God for me even to even desire to do that. You understand? So celebrating the Lord in these things that he gives you to draw near to him, that he's drawing near to you. It says, cleanse your hands. This is a matter of intentionality also. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cleansing your hands means that you're actually removing some things that are actually a draw to you, right? Maybe you have some things that just not, aren't godly. You ever had to just clean house? Maybe even clean some friends or whatever? You'd be like, yo, these people are not really, really good for me, right? Or maybe it's like, huh, I have the internet. I don't need the internet. I actually need to have to go somewhere and use the internet inside of a, you know what I'm saying, inside of a coffee shop, because when I'm home alone with the internet, it just doesn't, it takes me down the wrong road. You understand what I'm talking about? It's talking about using the intentionality, cleans, cleaning some things. What you actually put your energy and your strength to, making intentional conversations, which once again is the grace of God, to actually remove some things and actually, so you could flourish and grow in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. God instructs us to do that in his word. For some people, they'll go, well, it's me or whatever. I'm not as good as you thought. Well, you're not. You're so wretched and, and horrible. Matter of fact, that Jesus had to die on the cross to save you. So that's that. Get over it and lean on his grace. It's all you have. 
draw near to God and he will draw near to, near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify, purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is talking about the way you think, the way you process things. Begin to align your, your mind and your thoughts towards Jesus. In verse 9, I love this scripture right here, this piece right here. It says, be wretched and mourn and weep. How many people have seen this, this scripture right here? It's the Bible. It's the word of God telling you to be wretched. Be wretched and mourn and weep. And then it says, then it says this other imperative that you will miss or whatever, but it says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I know it's running late, y'all. Let me get this out. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What that actually means? It means, I just said a minute ago, get past yourself. We only have the grace of God to lean into. That's all you have. That's it, right? If you're in America and you deal with Christianity, you deal with church, then what you normally see is our posture. What everybody is looking at, you know, evangelicals and everything else and they're mad at, I would say is this posture of we are right, we got it right, we know what's right, and all of these different things and, 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 and not being able to listen and hear anybody else or whatever. I know that's not the whole picture of everything, but this is talking about killing a self-righteousness that ex exists in us as humans, right? It's saying stop, um, stop painting this fake Christianized picture about the world, right? Stop trying to make Romans 8 not be true, that the world is actually um, broken and called to futility, stop trying to make it into Disney World all the time. And then just going, oh, it's Disneyland and all, it's just the best up people out there that are just broken and stuff, but everything is all good. Everything ain't all good. It ain't all good. If you love your neighbor, it's not all good. I don't know about you, but I know I got people who's dying from drug addictions, getting shot in the street, watching kids get 25 years in prison, go back, tell them their brother just got killed next week. I don't know what, it's not all good to me. I don't know what they're looking at, but if you start making only, if you start trying to safeguard the proximity you have to any type of hurt in the world, then maybe you can go move somewhere and make fantasy land happen and act like everything is all good. But that's not what the Bible is asking us to do. Be wretched and mourn and weep. That's a personal statement. Look at yourself, look at your sin, let yourself be guilty. You are allowed to actually be guilty before the Lord because Jesus has washed your sins away. That's why he says in John, if you say you don't sin, you are a liar. If you are standing on the side like, man, I hope, to, I hope they get their life straight, man, like for real, you know, and get like us or whatever. If that's you, he's talking to you. Stop lying. You're wretched. We preach the gospel because we're lavishing people with the goodness and the grace and mercy that we got and need every day. Not because we're actually good and we're on the sideline like, man, they need to get their stuff together, you know, and, uh, and, and, and you know, live how we move and everything else. It's not the truth. I don't care how long you've been saved. You need God's grace and mercy every day. You're wretched every single day. If we lay, half, if we lay our thoughts on the table for everybody to see, we'll all be scared of each other. Raise your hand. I'm just playing. Don't do it. 
but it's real. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. He's saying, let yourself grieve about it. It's okay, you can grieve about it. You can step in the light and say, God, I'm guilty. God, I need, you, I, need, I need the blood of Jesus to wash over me. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. All of this joy and this laughter that you let go of, when you humble yourselves, you'll get it back. But it'll be purified. It'll be different and be honest. You can actually walk around and actually grieve about what's broken around you, the things you struggle through personally, the things your neighbors struggle through, the way the earth is broken and the things that you see happening and how evil it just seems like the times can be sometimes. You can actually wear all of that and you can still be snickering and laughing your way all the way to heaven thinking about eternity all at the same time. It's the good news, but it doesn't make you a fake person that tries to make everything happy and joyful. It makes you a real person who has the joy of the Lord. I'm gonna close with this right here, with this encouragement. This is Colossians 3, one through three. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things, it's one of the imperatives, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Another imperative in verse two, it says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with, is hidden with Christ and God. Church, um, y'all can go ahead and stand. We're going to worship together. But one of the things I want to leave you with is this, is that um, this text is speaking about that intentionality. It's talking about, um, it's giving us the process and the answer for how do we actually grow closer to God? How do we actually build our affections? One of the things is for you to accept the identity that you've been given in Christ. If you're a believer, if Jesus Christ has actually saved you and reconciled you to him, that is actually what you sit and you chew on that begins to build your affections for him, right? It's the fact that you don't deserve to actually be called his, and you deserve to actually be headed for an eternity away from the Father. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a person on earth that can stand before the Lord and play cute, right? But God in his goodness to us has called us into his marvelous light. And I don't understand it and I don't get it. I met the Lord on the way to go murder somebody. I have no idea why I'm here, why he would even let me even touch his word. But he does. And that's about how good he is. It has nothing to do with how good I am or anything like that. Not even close. And so this scripture is saying, accept this beautiful thing, this eternal promise, this eternal gift that you've received in Jesus Christ, and it's saying, now set your affections on the right way, right? Set it the right way. Once again, when it comes to raising kids, sometimes my kids, when they're acting out of pocket, I have to look at them and tell them who they are. I have to tell them what family they're in. Not that I'm telling them the rule. I'm like, yo, but you, you actually are walking in something that God has actually done. Like, get in line. We don't treat our brothers and sisters like that. Get in line. This is who you are. That's not, what, that's not going to be the legacy that y'all are going to have division. You're going to serve each other. You're going to wash each other's feet. If one of y'all get hurt, the other one's going to have to work two jobs and take care of the other one. It just says what it is. I bring them back to their identity. In this scripture, he brings us back to our identity in Christ. So this is who he's called you to be. Get in line. Put your mind around that. Think like that. Hold on to the Lord for dear life because you're not able to do it within yourself. 
can only do it through the grace of God, through proximity. If you got to lay on the word, if you got to walk around with it, you know what I'm saying, tucked on your armpit, I don't know what you have to do, but make sure you get it. It's a treasure. Go sell all you have to make sure you have this treasure because it's worth it, right? It's worth it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you, Father. We, uh, God, we ask you for your mercy and your grace this morning, Father. Um, we, we could talk it all day, Father, Lord, but we need your help to walk it. Father, help us to um, take our cold hands off of our idols and the things that we've made treasures in our life. Help us with the blind spots that we have um, where we've made things idols in our life. Um, help us with our fear to trust. Help us trust you, Lord. Help us to, your word says, submit ourselves to you. It says to let you. So it tells us that you want to do good things inside of our heart. You want to draw our affections towards you. Um, help us, Father Lord, to do that. Help us to trust like that. God, we just, so we just submit ourselves to you this morning, Father Lord. Corporately, we do as a church. We submit ourselves to you. For people in here who are having a hard time with that, Father Lord, I pray that as a church family, Father, we could grab hands and encourage each other in that. Um, and even in our squads this week as we get encourage each other, Father Lord. Help us, Father Lord. I know that dark days have always been, but I know that there's more coming ahead, Father Lord, and some of the ideologies and the thoughts of Father, Father are going to try to deceive us and trick us and pull us away from you. Um, they're going to tell us we're strong within ourselves and we're fools for believing in you. But Father Lord, our strength is you. Um, and I pray that you let us never forget that. Please don't let us forget that. Um, so we just praise you, Father. I thank you for anybody in here this morning, Father Lord, whose heart may be pricked by the word, Father Lord, and who doesn't know you, Father Lord, that um, they would let us, you know, pray with them or walk this walk out with them and, and, uh, and be with them, Father Lord. And uh, so we pray, Father Lord, that you would have that fold out the way you would. But we trust you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for our church. We thank you for this time together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you, church.